Welcome to Bench Talk, the week in science. My name is Dave Robinson. And I'm Ashley Best. You're listening to WFMP Louisville, 106.5 FM. This show's about bringing science to the people. We'll be bringing you weekly updates on new research that is important to all of us and celebrating evidence-based policy. We've scoured the library stacks for interesting articles, climbed the hill to stay informed on science policy, and performed some experiments of our own. We're here as a conduit of all things science. So, let's get started. Hey, are you ready for it? Are you ready to keep hearing about the top science news stories of 2019? Now, if you've been listening to this show the last couple of weeks, you're now pretty well versed in the top 39 science stories of last year. Check out our episodes of December 30, 2019 and January 6, 2020 to catch up on those stories. But now let's talk about the cream of the crop. I should tell you that these top 50 science stories were decided upon by Discover Magazine, not me. I'm just reviewing their list for you and adding a little bit of background where needed. So let's hear about science story number 11. Number 11 concerns germline gene editing. Now this kind of gene editing is of human sex cells, sperm cells or egg cells, or it's about gene editing of a newly formed human embryo with the idea of genetically altering a resulting person. This germline gene therapy is illegal in most countries because it's considered unethical. And it's not the same thing as genetic alteration of a person's liver or their skin cells or their heart cells. Those changes to the DNA, just part of the body, that doesn't get passed on to future generations. But germline gene therapy, those changes actually will get passed on to the next generation, that is. Why is germline experimentation considered unethical? Well, it's still an experimental technique, so there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Plus, the resulting adult person ends up having their DNA altered without actually having their permission, since they haven't even been born yet. And since a genetic change that is made is permanent and gets passed down to all future generations, again, those individuals did not have a say. Plus, there's a question of how heritable gene editing affects our society as a whole. Could it lead to even more economic or cultural stratification than what we already have today? But in spite of these concerns, it's already happened. The first gene-edited babies were born in China in November of 2018, and it was almost universally condemned. Just recently, a Chinese court sentenced the scientist to three years in prison for doing this and fined him the equivalent of $430,000. And his two colleagues who helped on the project got lesser sentences, but were still found guilty. But there's also a researcher in Russia who's announced plans to do the same kind of thing in the future. So in March of this year, head scientists from seven countries met and called for a five-year moratorium on the use of gene editing to modify the human germline. While other research consortiums are also declaring human germline gene editing off the table, the World Health Organization, WHO, has taken a more neutral stance, and that has raised some eyebrows. The tenth most important scientific event of 2019 has to do with a critical aspect of global climate change, melting ice. This year, study after study reported that the world's ice 
is melting at an accelerated pace. Researchers this year, for instance, predicted that 25% of global sea level rise is due to the melting ice in Greenland, and that all of Greenland's ice will probably be melted by the year 2099. Greenland melting alone could contribute 13 inches of water to global sea levels. Glaciers are continuing to melt too. For instance, a permanent plaque was recently installed in Iceland to commemorate the first Icelandic glacier to lose its status as a glacier. This glacier was called Okjakol, and it's now just a misshapen blob of blue ice about the size of a motorcycle. One group of researchers this year used old satellite images of glaciers that were taken by the military during the Cold War, and what they did is they compared them to present-day photos to study the change in glaciation over the decades. They reported that the Himalayan mountains, for instance, have lost twice as much ice in the last 20 years as they lost between 1975 and 2000. Another group reported that Antarctica is now losing ice at a rate that is six times as much as it did in 1975 and has contributed a half inch to global sea levels just since 1980. Another group developed a new technique to measure ice loss within a glacier rather than just on top like has been done in the past. They reported that the melting of the parts of the glaciers that are underwater could actually be a hundred times faster than previously thought. Now I'd like to supplement Discover Magazine's list on this particular topic because I'd like to add that we also saw 400 record-breaking high temperatures this year. They occurred in 29 different countries, mostly in the Northern Hemisphere. For instance, Europe baked during most of June and July, but so did India and Pakistan. Anchorage, Alaska saw an all-time high on 4th of July of 89.6 degrees Fahrenheit. There was a deadly heat wave in Japan that sent some 18,000 people to the hospital just in one week. And globally, July 2019 was the hottest July in 140 years of record-keeping. But I'd also like to add some good news. This year saw record levels of climate activism around the world. There were worldwide protests in March involving some 1.6 million students, and there were more student strikes in marches in September involving some 7.6 million people worldwide. It might have been 16-year-old Swedish activist Greta Thunberg who really catalyzed this activism, but it seems like it's really growing. And now that Donald Trump has declared his intention to withdraw the United States from previous carbon-cutting pledges, which are designed to reduce the amount of greenhouse gases emitted to the atmosphere, I should remind you that the exit itself cannot be finalized until November of 2020 the very month of the next U.S. presidential election. It will be up to the winner of that election to decide what finally happens to the U.S. role in the Paris Climate Treaty. Number nine is about putting human genes into monkeys. There's a team in China that injected 11 embryos of rhesus monkeys with a virus carrying the human version of a gene that is thought to regulate brain size. 
The brains of these resulting transgenic monkeys developed at a slower rate, which was actually more of a human-like pace. And at two or three years of age, these altered monkeys performed better on short-term memory tests. Now, there weren't any differences in brain size or behaviors in the altered versus unaltered rhesus monkeys. But this research raises a lot of ethical and moral questions. First, there's this long-held belief by many that it's unethical to even be doing research on primates. Then there's the questions about how these transgenic monkeys might relate with other monkeys in the lab if they're now expressing a human gene and whether it's right to be placing animals that are at least partly human in a cage. I calculate that since humans have approximately 20,000 different genes, you could say that these rhesus monkeys are 1 20,000th human now. That's only 0.005%, but where do you draw the line? And I can't help but think about the Planet of the Apes movies when I read about this research. And it does raise a serious question about whether this kind of endeavor could eventually lead scientists to think about altering the brains of humans rather than just monkeys. And that definitely has a creepy factor. Number eight has to do with space travel again, but this time sending unmanned probes to investigate various asteroids, planets, and moons. Now, on New Year's Day of 2019, the spacecraft called New Horizon flew by the most distant object ever visited by humanity. It's a rock called Ultima Thule. It's four billion miles from Earth. This rock measures something like 13 miles by 9 miles, and it's in the Kuiper Belt, along with thousands of other orbiting rocks, sort of shaped like a snowman, but flattened like two pancakes. Then there's the TESS spacecraft that we talked about on this show on August 20, 2018. TESS has now found at least 34 exoplanets in the last 18 months. An exoplanet is a planet that occurs outside of our solar system. So it's a planet that goes around a star other than our own. And then finally, the Japanese have succeeded in landing a second probe on an asteroid. They blast away at some of the rock on the asteroid, collected some of the material, and this probe is currently heading back to Earth. It's going to get here sometime in 2020. And then scientists can examine this exotic asteroid rock. The seventh biggest science story of the year involves some more research on brains. This time, it's two papers that were just published about growing brain tissue artificially in cell cultures. They took human stem cells, which are capable of developing into just about any part of the body, and coaxed them into developing into brain tissue called brain organoids. Now, they've actually done this kind of stuff before, but in the past, these brain organoids couldn't grow very large because they lacked blood vessels that could supply them with nutrients and oxygen. But these two groups figured out how to get past that problem they were able to get these tissues to grow larger and more complex and to actually make functional connections between neurons and spinal cord tissues, as well as muscle fibers. They found that these attached muscles would even be able to move and that the brain organoids displayed electrical activities that were similar to the brain waves of preterm babies. 
Researchers were surprised that they could detect complex brain activity without the formation of a complete brain, and even without input from the body. So what they concluded was that brains might be genetically programmed to develop the way they do in the earliest stages of growth. The objective for this kind of research is to study brain disease, spinal cord injury, ALS, epilepsy, or even autism. So they could do this by making brain organoids from donors afflicted with these various diseases. And if they could sustain the brain tissue long enough, they could maybe model what goes on in these diseased brains. But you have to admit, this is another story with a considerable icky factor, don't you think? Number six is about CBD, cannabidiol. Now, Discover Magazine says that perhaps cannabidiol, CBD, maybe that should be the compound of the year if you consider how widely it's now being marketed and consumed. It seems like CBD is being sold everywhere I look. Now, cannabidiol is one of dozens of biologically active ingredients called cannabinoids that are synthesized by the plant cannabis sativa. Now, the most famous cannabinoid until now, I guess, has been THC, which is the psychoactive constituent of marijuana. Now, the genetic differences between marijuana, which is a cannabis with relatively high levels of THC, and hemp, which is primarily grown for its fiber, it's very confusing about the genetic differences. It's not been fully elucidated because there's been so much cross-pollination and hybridization between these two kinds of plants. From the scientific literature I've looked at, it seems like botanists are really not quite sure whether these two plants should be thought of as two different species or whether they're really just two subspecies of each other. The U.S. Farm Bill of 2018, though, has made the growing of hemp as legal as growing crops like corn and soybeans, as long as the THC content is no more than 0.3%. And from what I understand, CBD can be derived from either marijuana or hemp. It just has to be a purified CBD product. Now, I can tell you the only FDA-approved CBD medicine is labeled for treating certain types of seizures. CBD has not been approved by the FDA for any other medical uses, so it's illegal for companies to claim that CBD has medicinal or therapeutic benefits. Regardless of this, though, millions of people seem to be turning to CBD to self-treat symptoms like anxiety, pain, or PTSD. But there is really not very much scientific evidence that this is actually the case. Plus, no one knows how CBD is broken down in the body. It's probably by the liver, but it's not really known. No one really knows what enzymatic pathways are involved in the breakdown of CBD. People don't really know the correct dose of CBD or how to administer it or how much of it actually reaches the blood after you inhale it or if you take it orally and whether enough of the compound actually reaches the target tissues. So there's a lot that's not known about CBD. One of the greatest potential hazards of CBD, though, is with vaping. That's burning CBD oil and breathing it in. As of November 20, 2019, there were 2,290 cases of illnesses due to vaping. And vaping in general has resulted in at least 47 deaths in 2019. 
many of these vaping victims were young and healthy individuals, and no one really is quite sure what's causing all of these vaping incidents. Is it the nicotine? Is it THC? Is it CBD? Or is it other additives to the vaping compounds? Recently, however, the FDA announced that vitamin E acetate might be the culprit. Vitamin E acetate is a thickening agent that's added to vaping products that contain THC. So it might not be the THC that's the problem. It could be this vitamin E acetate. I can tell you that in 2017 and 18, there was an outbreak of poisonings in Utah by people who had been taking an imitation CBD product, mostly through vaping. And I can tell you that chemical analyses show that CBD oils can also contain other synthetic cannabinoids, as well as the active ingredient of cough medicine, dextromethorphan. So more monitoring and research on CBD needs to take place. The NIH, National Institutes of Health, just announced $3 million in research grants to study cannabinoids. And there is a bipartisan effort in Congress to throw even more money into CBD research. Even as we speak, more than 100 clinical trials are underway on CBD throughout the country. The number five top science news story of 2019 is about the Denisovans. Now, the first evidence of these human-like creatures, the Denisovans, was found in 2008 in a cave in Siberia called the Denisova Cave. It was part of a girl's finger bone that contained DNA that when they sequenced it, it just didn't match any known hominid. Then they found some teeth and bones from four other individuals that were in the cave settlements there, and all that hinted that these Denisovans lived in this cave from 300,000 years ago until as recently as 50,000 years ago. The Denisovans were human-like, and they probably bred with humans and the Neanderthals, who were also inhabiting our planet at that time. Up to now, there really wasn't much fossil evidence to indicate what they look like or how these creatures behaved. But this year, researchers announced that they found two small skull fragments from a fifth individual in that Siberian cave. And on top of that, there was a report this year of a Denisovan jawbone found in a cave in Tibet. It was in a mountain that was two miles above sea level. And this Tibetan bone was estimated to be 160,000 years old. The DNA found in the original cave in Siberia hinted that they possessed a variant of a gene product that helps people survive at high altitudes. But even though the Siberian cave was not all that high up, this gene variant can still be found in the natives of Tibet so that they can live at high elevations. So this gene variant probably allowed these ancient Denisovans to live in this Tibetan cave two miles above sea level. Not only do the current populations of Tibetans have a little bit of that same Denisovan DNA, but so do the native peoples of Indonesia and Papua New Guinea, which are countries in Southeast Asia and Oceania. So with this year's data, researchers are speculating that there were generally three distinct lines of Denisovans and that they all mated with humans in their respective areas. There's the Siberian group, there's the Indonesian group, and there's a Papua New Guinea group. Researchers have used this DNA to try to predict what Denisovans looked like. 
It's still highly speculative, but they're guessing that the one girl's bones they have indicate that she had a relatively flat face, but still very human-like, with no distinct chin, just like the Neanderthals, and a broad nose. There is some evidence that these ancient Denisovans were intelligent and they had culture. For instance, scientists have found designs that were carved into animal bones. One of the biggest questions about the Denisovans is how to categorize them. Are they a separate species from humans, or are they just different populations of us? And if they're separate species, is it one species, or two, or three? So this year's discoveries about the Denisovans really cloud the evolution of humans. To quote science writer Bruce Bauer, he says, The discoveries this year cement Denisovan status as co-authors of humankind's long and winding evolutionary story. Number four of the top 50 science news stories of 2019. A million species are in danger of extinction, says a United Nations report this year. The Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, that's a mouthful, they published a summary of some 15,000 different research reports about the world's environmental changes over the last 50 years. They estimated that about one quarter of the world's plants and animals are vulnerable to extinction. That includes one third of marine mammals and 40% of amphibians. About one in eight species was referred to as dead species walking. In addition to the intrinsic value of these plants and animals, as well as their ecological importance, this loss could have significant economic effect on us because there's some 4 billion people on Earth relying on natural medicines, and then there's the potential loss of agricultural pollinators that could threaten up to $577 billion worth in crops every year. The report speculates about five potential and certainly not exclusive causes of this extinction. First, the conversion of natural land and water ecosystems to agriculture or aquaculture. Two, overharvesting, logging, hunting, and fishing. Three, climate change. Four, pollution, especially by plastics. And five, the spread of invasive plants and animals. These are non-native species that could displace native organisms. I think I'd add a couple other events to this topic. The large number of fires that were occurring in the Amazon forest in Brazil this year. One researcher using satellite imaging found that the fire detections in the Amazon during the month of August exceeded all other measurements that month going back 20 years. He ranked the 2019 fire season in the Amazon, that goes from late June to October, as the second worst ever. The worst fire season there was in 2005. And then there is this paper published in October of 2019 that estimated that there were 3 billion fewer birds in the United States and Canada now than there was in 1970. Overall, there's 29% fewer birds flying around now compared to 50 years ago. Unbelievable and very sad. Number three, the race for the moon. 
space agencies around the world seem to be clamoring to send spacecraft to our nearest neighbor, the moon. In January of 2019, China successfully landed a craft on the moon for the first time on the far side of the moon, part we don't see. Their craft released a lunar rover, and it's now outlived its original lifespan of only three months. It's still up there roaming around the moon, taking photos and probing the lunar surface with radar. This Chinese lander also contains a biological experiment. It was a small canister containing cotton seeds and insect eggs that were supposed to live for a while, but unfortunately it all died after only nine days due to freezing temperatures. Israel tried to get its lunar lander on the moon in April, but due to a sensor failing, the engine shut down too soon, and it crashed into the lunar surface instead. The lander contained living specimens of a primitive animal called the tardigrade. These are very tough aquatic micro-animals that are known to survive almost anywhere. They live in Antarctica, in the deep sea, on mountaintops, in mud volcanoes. They can live anywhere on Earth, but who knows whether they could actually survive the moon. Probably not. India also tried to land on the moon this year for the second time, the first time being in 2008. This time it was a lunar lander with a rover that they had planned on landing at the south pole of the moon, which hadn't been explored before. But unfortunately, it crashed into the moon due to a programming error. The U.S. didn't attempt any lunar landers this year, but plans are underway to send the first man and woman to the moon by 2024. Not only could the moon provide a platform for sending people onward to Mars, but they want to try performing specific science and technology demonstrations on the moon as a way of practicing for the colonization of Mars. Now, NASA is pinning a lot of the hope for its exploration of the moon on the Boeing company, however. Unfortunately, the Boeing company has experienced some setbacks lately. There's the two major deadly airplane crashes of its 737s, and that now seems to be due to negligence by both the Boeing company and federal regulators. But Boeing also experienced a failed launch of its Starliner spacecraft, that was just back on December 20th, 2019. So this is making experts wonder if NASA will be able to stay on schedule about that moon landing. There are other private companies planning to explore the moon, though. There's SpaceX, which is run by Elon Musk of Tesla fame. SpaceX is testing its spacecraft for voyage to the moon. And then there's Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon.com, he unveiled his spacecraft called Blue Moon, which would be able to deliver up to seven tons of cargo to the lunar surface sometime in the future. Well, there you go. The top 48 science news stories of 2019. Stay tuned next week to hear the top two stories. Can you guess what they are? Well, stay tuned. Well, that's the show this week. Thank you for listening to Bench Talk, The Week in Science. We think the world is a fascinating place, and science is a good way to explore it. Science truly empowers all of us. If you want to learn more about the show, go to our Facebook page. Just search for Bench Talk, two words on Facebook. 
You can also email us at benchtalkradio at gmail.com. That's one word, benchtalkradio at gmail.com. Now, all of our episodes are podcasted on SoundCloud, so just visit the station's website at www.forwardradio.org and scroll down to the program archives. That's www.forwardradio.org to listen to any of our old episodes. If you live outside of the Louisville broadcast area, you can still listen to us on live stream at that same website, www.forwardradio.org. This show is broadcast on WFMP LP 106.5 FM every Monday at 7.30 p.m. That's Eastern Time. 11.30 a.m. every Tuesday and 7.30 a.m. every Wednesday. Thank you for listening to WFMP LP 106.5 FM, your grassroots, volunteer-run, listener-supported community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky where there is still a little room for evidence-based rational analysis. Thank you.